Good morning, everyone. Hope you're doing well. As you can tell, we're going to be focusing on gifts this morning. And just so you'll know, kiddos, there's nothing in these boxes. All right? Uh, uh, I know if my kids were uh, uh, the small in age, they would probably be up here digging in them while we had our backs turned back in the day. So nothing in the boxes. Uh, well, good morning to you. As Monty said, this is a little bit different this morning. It will feel a little different than what we typically do, but I do think it's necessary. We think it's necessary in terms of uh, laying the foundation f- uh, for our regifting series, and uh, I hopefully you'll see that this morning as we begin. So I don't know about you guys. Oh, let me say this first. An outline is absolutely necessary this morning. So if you don't have one, reach over and grab the longest outline in the history of Fellowship Bible Church. <laughs> All right, front and back page. That's a little bit of a quipping class feel this morning, but I wanted you to have that. If you're at home, you, can, you should be able to download one of those from the website, uh, but this will be crucial to you having sort of some working definitions of where we're going, uh, so make sure you grab an outline. Uh, and I don't know if you knew this or not. I didn't until I got into teaching this series and that is that re-gifting is a big, big thing. Any of you ever done some re-gifting? Yeah, you don't want to admit it, though, right? Because I get it. I, I, look, it's all over, all over Pinterest. It's all over the Internet. Hundreds, if not thousands, of ideas of how you can participate in and do this re-gifting at a very high elite level. Uh, one re-gifting party expert wrote how she actually became a re-gifting expert. She puts it this way, thanks to my extended family's incredible generosity, but general cluelessness about what I want or need for Christmas, I find myself with a bunch of gifts that are very nice, but not what I want. So after some chats with friends, I decided that re-gifting should not be a dirty word. It should be an excuse for a party. She is now a national leader, folks, blogger and vlogger about regifting. Regifting material things, material gifts, is it, at best a way to get folks together for a little fun. At worst, it's you getting something that someone else didn't want, <laughs> right? It, it, at worst, it's leftovers, it's odds, odds and ends, it's sort of blah, blah, blah. But spiritually speaking, and this is great for us as Christians, regifting is one of the most exciting, life-changing, and powerful things a Christ follower can participate in. That's why we have prayerfully decided to take this entire ministry year, as Monty said, to really focus on inward with our gifting. And our first step to do this this morning, starts this morning, as Monty mentioned Uh, with instruction and teaching. So we'll do instruction, then we'll do a discovery phase after the first of the year, and then an activation phase uh, at the end. And in doing so, as it says in your notes, we'll answer four big questions over the next four weeks during our instruction time. And that will be, what are spiritual gifts? Why do we have them? How do we use them? And what do we expect to see when we use them in the context of the local church. It is why we're calling this series Regifting, Giving Away What Has Been Given to Us. 
And as it says in your notes, our focus for this year will be this. As we connect inward with our gifting, we discover the unique part God has called us to play. Now, over and over and over in Luke, if you remember, if you don't remember anything about Luke, we, you got to remember this. We talked about over and over and over how we can participate in building the kingdom of God on earth. Remember that? That's part of what we're doing this morning in the area of spiritual gifting. And then we'll be asking a question all year. And the question will be how, this is more personal, how am I building maturity by serving my church according to my unique design? Now, great question, and hopefully as the year rolls out, we'll be able to answer it very clearly. It does remind me, however, uh, of the time Vince Lombardi, the famed Hall of Fame coach for the Green Bay Packers, was asked by a reporter, how much, Vince, do you think football contributes to the national physical fitness picture? His response was classic Lombardi. He said, nothing. <laughs> it contributes nothing. And the reason is, you have 22 men on the field desperately in need of rest and 60,000 plus people in the stands desperately in need of exercise. <laughs> so here's the, yeah, we agree. And the older I get, the more that's true, right? The church, though, is not to be a place where only a few are making room in their lives for the mission, while others are sort of fans and sit in the stands. But we all as a church need to get into the game and play our unique position in the game, the game of building the kingdom of God. And this is why, uh, honestly, if I can just be totally truthful with, with you, you're going to have to do some exercise of your own. You're going to have to do some work on your own in this subject to learn, to study, to pray, to read, and to ask lots of questions. This subject is not an easy one, but it is a much needed one. So I put at the bottom of your outline of the world's largest outline or biggest outline at the bottom some resources for you that are incredibly important. We will continue to give you resources throughout that you can engage in. Great book by Thomas Schreiner, and it, uh, just a good basic book. And then you have Showing the Spirit by D.A. Carson, which is an exposition, sort of a commentary on three chapters of the Bible. And it's a, look, it's a deep dive. If you want to challenge yourself mentally, that's the one you'll choose. It's a great article by Tim Chalice and on continuationism and cessationism. Not sensationalism. Say, say it with me, money. Yes, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> By Wayne Grudem, who was one of my, both of those guys were my professors. And then on Right Now Media, there's a great series, a couple series by Matt Chandler. So you're going to have to do some work here. And as you engage this topic, the key word I want you to write down and remember is humility and teachability. A lot of what we'll, we'll be talking about here is non-essentials, 
meaning there are no reason to break fellowship with other Christ followers who may have come to different conclusions about this subject of spiritual gifts. But boy, they are certainly important. <clears throat> On one side of this whole deal of spiritual gifts, you may or may not know, is what uh, people have called themselves, so this word's cessationist which basically means that the miraculous gifts have completely ceased after the apostles died or when the New Testament was completed. So that's one side that says they have ceased. They no longer exist. And on the other side, you have the continuous charismatics, I will call them, who say all the gifts, all the gifts continue to exist exactly as they did in the New Testament. Now, in those two very far apart uh, views in terms of spiritual gifts, I really think the church has been hurt because I think there's been abuse or, or just an extremism on both sides. For example, the cessationists would say that the continuous are profoundly unbiblical and have succumbed to an experience at the expense of truth and this out-of-control worship experience. The continuous charismatic might put it another way. He would say that the cessationists are stodgy, it's a British word, dry, and are not really hungry for the Lord, and more concerned with ritual than reality, and more in love with propositional truth than with Jesus. They would say that they're dull. But it is why at Fellowship we would uh, we would embrace a third category, and it would be called open but cautious when we come to the idea or topic of spiritual gifts. And we do so because we think it best fits the biblical narrative, one that Paul writes about in 1 Corinthians 12, where he says to eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. But as Christians, we're also called to be discerning, to watch out for deception and false teaching. 1 John 4.1 puts it this way. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Now, Dr. Robert, Robert Saucy is an expert. He also uh, is a theologian at uh, uh, Talbot Theological Seminary and. He also embraces the open but cautious view when it comes to spiritual gifts. And he defines that as this. Open to the possibility of miraculous gifts today, but are concerned about the possibility of abuses that have seen, they've seen practice in the church and that often leads to divisiveness and disunity among God's people. Yet at the same time, open but cautious folks appreciate some of the benefits that charismatic believers have brought to the church, such as a refreshing worship and a challenge to stay intimate with the Lord. Now, there are more differences for sure, but those are the baseline differences. Again, I want you to embrace the word humility because my personal journey in this has, has, has been I think quite normal, but also a lot of change. Obviously, came to Christ, I knew nothing about spiritual gifts. And then for years, I sort of landed in that they have ceased. 
And uh, as I went to seminary and began to unpack uh, nearly a whole class on this topic, I changed to open but cautious. And so humility and work on your part is huge. Now, speaking of humility, uh, we had a test last week. <laughs> and uh, obviously on tests, some people do well and some people don't. So we have a uh, some, some survey results. How many of y'all took the survey last week? Yeah. So I have the names of those who failed. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. So obviously no one failed. It was the thought. So uh, the, the results, though, were this. Do you know your spiritual gift? 70% of people said yes, and 30 said no. So encouraging on one hand, but there's work to be done. And of those 70 you may, at the end of this, come to a different conclusion if you practice humility. Now, the second, another question was, how well do you feel you are using your spiritual gift? 19% said great. 70%, I love this heart, would love to use it more. And then 12% said they're not using it at all. So what a great response in terms of where we want to be at the end of this that a hundred percent of people could answer great to that question and then another question would be we could you give a biblical definition of spiritual gift 65 percent said yes and 35 percent said no so we're going to clarify that one this morning that's the question we're asking and answering what are spiritual gifts and our prayer really is that all these questions and more would be answered fully. And our church and each person in our church would be unleashed for the glory of God using their spiritual gift to build his kingdom. Folks, that's great stuff. So let's answer the question. So what is a spiritual gift? I have defined it in your notes as an ability Working or power, meaning it is God's work or God's power, not your work. You're not earning something. You didn't do anything, but it's God's work and God's power that is given to you freely, which is why we call it a gift, with or by the Holy Spirit. Now, with that working definition, I want you to know there's a second half of that definition that we're going to give you next week is Monty ask the question, why we have spiritual gifts, or what are the purpose of spiritual gifts? But for this morning, we're going to stay with that, an ability, working a power that is given to you freely, a gift, with or by the Holy Spirit. And as we get into unpacking uh, that definition with specifics, I, I think some context is needed. And the context is the New Testament church, as it says in your notes. Because when we think about spiritual gift, we must think about them in light of the New Testament church. Let me remind you that since the Holy Spirit descended on the day of Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, there was a new organism that was born, a new organism that was created. And this organism consists of all those who have placed their trust in Christ and his death on the cross and his resurrection alone for salvation, for the forgiveness of their sins. And the New Testament 
in those verses that I put there by the New Testament church describe this, these people collectively as a spiritual household or a spiritual family or a holy temple not made with uh, innate rocks and stones but with living stones. Look, regardless of those names, there's no doubt, though, that the number one metaphor that the Apostle Paul and others use to describe the church is the body of Christ, with Christ Christ himself as the head of the body. Eighteen times that metaphor, the body of Christ, is used to describe the church. Now, each person in the body of Christ is given, and that's what Monty said this morning, this is crucial, each of those people that make up the church in the body of Christ is given at least one spiritual gift at the moment that you trust Christ, at that moment. So that's why it's a gift. To benefit this new body they are a part of as a son or daughter of God in Christ. And so as we talk about spiritual gifts For us to think about spiritual gifts, less about us and more about the context that Monty's going to fully unpack next week is really crucial to us understanding. And so here's what I've done for you. I put a chart in your notes, and um, there are 22 spiritual gifts listed there. Now, there are some who would argue there are more, and they probably are, but this is the vast majority of spiritual gifts, and they come from four primary passages. The first four there, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4. And then there's a couple sprinkled there that I'll let you read. So I want to take a minute and to read the four primary passages that spiritual gifts come from. And I think our chart is there. So just listen uh, well this morning. Romans 12, 6 through 8. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And then next in 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. And it goes on, that's 10, okay? And then next in 1 Corinthians 12, 28 through 30. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping and administering, ministrating, and various gifts of tongues. Are all apostles... Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? It's a rhetorical question Paul's asking. The answer is no. 
Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, Paul says in 31. And then lastly, in Ephesians 4.11. Ephesians 4.11. And he gave the apostles and prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. So there we have our four primary passages with a few others uh, for us to see what are the spiritual gifts. And we, we have listed this morning again 22 of those. And so what I'm going to attempt to do here, there's some of these gifts this morning that are, are it, it, when you hear the word, you know exactly what it means. We'll just read the definition. There's some of these gifts that need a little more unpacking. We don't have time to do a deep dive this morning. But for four or five of these, I will take a few minutes to make comments as we go through this. And our first one is just that kind of gift that needs a little unpacking. It is prophecy. In our basic definition, I have put the ability to receive and proclaim a message from God. One who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouragement, consolation, and warning. John Piper goes on to give us a little more definition as he describes this gift of prophecy. He says, it is a message or report in human words, usually made to the gathered believers, based on a spontaneous personal revelation from the Holy Spirit for the purpose of edification, encouragement, comfort, or guidance, but not necessarily free from human error. And this needing assessment on the basis of biblical scriptures and mature spiritual wisdom. To put it another way, 1 Thessalonians 5, 20, 21 says, Do not despise prophecies, but test everything and hold on fast to what is good. So prophecy, let's talk about what it's not. Prophecy is not preaching or teaching. Prophecy is not inspired or inerrant, as the Bible is. If it was, we would continue to be adding text to the Scripture, and it's not. It is not you being the Holy Spirit in someone's life. Someone needs to underline that one this morning, okay? <laughs> but it is to bring the Word of God to bear upon the person or the whole body for the purposes that I stated in the definition it is a, as a gift to people. These are not words divorced from Scripture, but they're words that clarifies the truth of Scripture in the circumstances of that person that it is given to. Now, one of the classic examples that I would use in my own life to describe prophecy would be this, that Jenna felt... Years ago, you know, most of you know we have an adopted daughter, Joelle, who's 18 now and at school and is doing well, by the way, and is sore continually because of track practice. So, uh, but a year and a half or so before uh, uh, we got her, Jenna felt impressed upon the Lord in a powerful way to come to me and tell me that she thinks the Lord is leading us to adopt. It was powerful to her. Her lip was quivering. I mean, she was, she was lit with that. And I, I think that's a classic example 
of prophecy. It is a topic, adoption, that she had never thought of up till that moment. So, um, it's also crucial to note, I think, that prophecy is not speaking of the future in terms of what the prophet Isaiah did or the prophet Jeremiah did in the Old Testament. They were these classic prophets. But it is speaking, it can be, could be speaking of the future in a limited way. Example, you can bring to bear the truth of God of Hebrews 9.27. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment. So there, there is a limited way. We can be speaking those things, reminding each other in specific circumstances where someone is forgetting that or living if, as if that is not true. Or to tell someone, I do know how the world will end. I don't know when, but I do know how it will end. And as you tell them, they may say, who do you think you are? You think you're a prophet? You go, well, actually, <laughs> I might be. It is to use this gift well or to be able to use this gift well. What is it that people must be really, really, really well equipped with? The knowledge of the scriptures, right? If not, you're going to say some crazy stuff. So very key there, unpacking prophecy. And then we have service, the ability to identify and care for the physical needs of the body through a variety of means. The Greek word for this gift is the same as that for ministry or deacon. What a beautiful gift for the body, those who serve. Then teaching, the ability to clearly explain and effectively apply the truths of God's word so that others will learn. And I might even add to that, uh, the person with the teaching gift usually uh, has to have also a love to study. So that's a key clarifier there. Exhortation, the ability to motivate others to respond to the truth by providing timely words of counsel and encouragement. For me, I think I have more of a exhortation gift than teaching gift. And some of you are thinking, yeah, because you're never clear, right? <laughs> but, but one of the reasons it works for Monty and I to be teaching every other week is that uh, I don't have to do it 50 weeks a year. And so exhortation is probably stronger for me. Then the gift of giving, the ability to contribute material resources with generosity and cheerfulness for the benefit of others and the glory of God. What a wonderful gift. And guess what? You don't have to be rich to have the gift of giving. Leadership. The ability to discern God's purpose for a group. Set and communicate appropriate goals and motivate others to work together to fulfill them in the service of God. The gift of mercy. The ability to deeply empathize and engage in compassionate acts on behalf of people who are suffering physically, mentally, or emotionally, or emotional distress. What a beautiful gift. Many of us have experienced that from others. Some of you have that. And boy, when you come on the scene, it's, uh, it's beautiful in terms of how you can soften hearts and encourage people with that gift. Then the gift of wisdom, the ability to apply the principles of God's word in a practical way 
to specific situations and recommend the best course of action at the best time. Wisdom, the knowledge, the ability to discover, analyze, and systematize God's truth for the benefit of others. Faith, Paul says it's without faith it's impossible to please God. The scriptures tell us that faith, everyone, not everyone has the gift of faith, but everyone is to walk by faith. So this is a special gifting here where it's the ability to have a vision for what God wants to be done and to confidently believe that it will be accomplished in spite of circumstances and appearances to the contrary. People who have known with this gift have a inordinate ability to trust God in a very faithful way in spite of circumstances. And in doing so, when they re-gift that, they give that away, it makes everybody else able to trust God as well. And then healing. This is one needs a little unpacking here. I have defined it, the ability to serve as a human instrument through whom God supernaturally cures illnesses and restores health. Now, I want you to notice first and foremost, we humans are instruments. We are conduits. The power doesn't come from us. There's no pounding the chest here. God simply uses us. Secondly, everyone needs, I think you will agree with this, everyone needs physical emotional, and relational healing at some point in their life. We good with that? If you're human and you know you're human, we all need healing multiple times. And then thirdly, I want to say something that may sound controversial at, controversial at first, but God heals everyone. Yeah. He's going to heal every one of us. He's going to heal us this side of heaven, or he's going to heal us on the other side of heaven when we go to be with him. But make no mistake, he heals every one of us. And until he does, here's the good side, until he does, this side of heaven, he will use every struggle and every pain and every tear. He will use it if we will allow him to conform us into the image of his beloved son. It's one of my favorite thoughts in the scripture that he is not wasting this. He is not asleep. He does not sleep or slumber. He literally is using this for my own good and Christ's maturity in me. So speaking of this side of heaven, obviously everyone will not be healed. We are not entitled in any way to be healed. But I want you to know that on numerous occasions, here's how we would approach this. On numerous occasions, there have been folks that have come into, for example, our elders meeting, and we have prayed for them for their healing as we placed oil on their forehead, as James 5 commands us to do. We are trusting God. We believe that God can and does heal even today. There are some that have this gift of healing in the sense that it's more awake in them and they understand all that I've said and more on this. And then you have miracles, and, and this sort of goes along with healing. It sort of overlaps. 
It is the ability to serve as an instrument through whom God accomplishes acts that manifest his supernatural power. So those two go together, healing and miracles. And then distinguishing of spirits, the ability to clearly discern the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Again, those who have that gift uh, have to know the scriptures well. And then tongues. We come to this spiritual gift of tongues. Uh, I've defined it initially as the ability to receive and impart a spiritual message in a language the recipient never learned. So let me unpack this a minute just for a baseline of the spiritual gift. In the scriptures, there are two presentations of the spiritual gift of tongues. The first one is a presentation that the speaker is speaking in a non-native language, okay? He's speaking, and the hearer, as he listens, is hearing it in his own language. Acts 2 was a picture of that. Acts 2, 1 through 13, Pentecost, 50 days post-resurrection, there was this new evangelistic work to take the gospel to the world and as Peter spoke, it is said that, you know, during Passover, Jews from all over the world that spoke all kind of different languages descended upon Jerusalem. And as they listened to Peter speak, they heard Peter in their native tongue and could understand the gospel. And we see that 3,000 people came to Christ. Uh, I, I, look, in places that the gospel is going for the first time, or a new work in new places, I have heard very credible people say that actually still happens. No doubt. There's a second presentation, however, of tongues that is in, you can write this down, 1 Corinthians, well, it's in 1 Corinthians, but in 1 Corinthians 12, 30, as I read, Paul asked the rhetorical question, do all speaking tongues? Remember as I read that? The answer is what? No. The answer is no. It is also, just for clarification, it's not necessary to, for salvation for someone to speak in tongues. It is not necessary for spiritual maturity. And, and look, many, many on the cessationist camp and the open but uh, cautious camp would be in much more agreement, agreement with the continuous camp if you would take away anything that is attached to tongues that is a second wave of the Spirit, or you have to have it to be spiritually mature. That's where it is has been abused outside of what the Scriptures speak of. It is not a better, tongues is not a better or more elite gift than that of helps or administration of mercy or any other gift. If spoken in public, Paul tells us, it must be interpreted. An interpretation must equal or be in line with the scriptures. And if not, Paul condemns that kind of participation or that kind of act. In 1 Corinthians 14, 2 through 5 and verse 12, it is laid out as an utterance, not a known language, for prayer and praise, primarily I believe in private, and it is a value to that person. I think it's key to remember 1 Corinthians 14, 33. For God is not a God of confusion, 
and 1 Corinthians 14, 40. All things concerning the worship gathering should be done in order. The Bible really does give us those two options. I think we need to be open but cautious as the scriptures lay out those two options for this gift of tongues with stipulations to keep order and unity in the body. So obviously we talked through the book of 1 Corinthians. We said a lot more about this, but hopefully that's helpful in terms of where we'll start with our baseline uh, meanings there. And then interpretation of tongues, the ability to translate into the vernacular um, a message publicly uttered in a tongue. That's self-explanatory. Then apostleship. If there's one gift we think at fellowship that has ceased, it is apostleship. This gift typically has been uh, defined um, as a gift that ceased once the apostles died. There's no need for those. This gift ceased to exist since the requirement for the office of apostle includes have seen the physically resurrected Jesus. So if you haven't seen the physically resurrected Jesus in the physical form, we think this gift has ceased. Helps, the ability to enhance the effectiveness of ministry of other members of the body. Man, don't you love people that are gifted with this gift of helps? They're just ready to jump in, put their hands to the plow, work hard. They're so encouraging. Administration, the ability to steer a church or Christian organization towards the fulfillment of its goals by managing its affairs and implementing necessary plans. As a non-administrative person, as a non-detailed person, except with my turkey hunting gear, okay, I want you to know that I love these people. And if I was leading this church by myself and Monty, something happened to Monty, I would have 9,000 people with this gift just to keep me breathing and standing up. Then evangelism, another gift that I, I do think I have, is the ability to be an usually effective instrument in the leading of unbelievers to a saving knowledge of Christ. Shepherd or pastor, the ability to personally lead, nourish, protect, and care for the needs of a flock of believers. Celibacy, the ability to enjoy being single and maintain sexual self-control. That's a gift that hasn't been celebrated. If someone has that gift, as all of them, it needs to be celebrated. And then hospitality, the ability to welcome and provide for those in need of food and lodging. Uh, I think my wife has that gift. I'm thankful. That's why I struggle with my weight, one reason. And my lack of self-control, which is not a gift but a fruit of the Spirit that I need to grow in. So in light of all that, let me, let me give us some closing thoughts as we move into a so what this morning. Spiritual gifts are God's grace to you, and he made us to be us, and not someone else with some other gifts. Secondly, our gifts don't make us inferior or superior. The contribution of every, every member of the body matters. Thirdly, our gifts are worthless. Look, write this down. If you don't remember anything for this morning, our gifts, Paul says, are worthless without love. In between the two greatest 
chapters on spiritual gifts and their explanation. Chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians and chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians. In the middle of that is the love chapter. And Paul basically says, you're a ganging gong or whatever he says there, right? You're making a lot of noise, but without love, your gifts are useless. And then fourthly, the church must hunger and desire. Here's D.A. Carson's quote here. The church must hunger and desire to know more of God's presence in our lives and pray for a display of unleashed reforming power among us, dreading all steps that aim to domesticate God in the constraints of biblical truth and discipline. May that be our prayer as a church. And so this morning, for your so what, I want you to take this week I want you to take this week to read over and over these texts on spiritual gifts and familiarize yourself with them and ask lots of questions and write down observations as we continue to equip ourselves in this area. And then I want you to choose at least one of those resources and order it or buy it or look it up and begin to equip yourself in this area as we take this long approach, but we hope a very fruitful approach to spiritual gifts. So take a minute and ask the question, so what? Lord Jesus, we come to you this morning and um, we're grateful. We are grateful. Not only that you brought us to Christ, the greatest miracle in the world outside of your own resurrection is that you resurrect your people from death to life. And So Lord, we believe that you're a God that works miracles. We're grateful for the scriptures that unpack and give clarification to and boundaries to how those these spiritual gifts work, and then we're grateful as we even prayed this morning for how you've gifted us individually in the context of your local body and for your glory. So help us, Lord, as we embark on this journey this year of spiritual gifting. Help us understand our gifts. Help us to grow in our gifts. Help us to find a place to use our gifts and play our role. We're grateful that you call us to a mission and then you equip us to fulfill that mission. You don't ask us to do what you have not supplied the necessary things to do it with. And so for that we are grateful. Help us as D.A. Carson even said, Lord to to be afresh and new and, and walking in your power and the ways that you have created us and gifted us. And we love you and everyone said Amen. Amen.